0: You are listening to the Choose to Think podcast where we focus on taking thoughts captive, giving thanks in everything and walking with a renewed mind. I'm Victoria D Walker, your thought coach. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Adam Reed, who is currently Amazon's number 1 best-selling author for new releases in adult Christian ministry. With his book titled Love is Real. Let me read a few excerpts from the press release, quote, Love is Real peels back the mask that allows depression and anxiety to silently grow beneath. Adam battled mental health issues in silence for 13 years. In Love is Real, he shares the scientifically supported methods to fight the real enemy, shame. You don't willpower your way through cancer. Your work ethic doesn't allow you to overcome a heart attack. You don't refuse to take your diabetic insulin because your faith is enough for you to be healed. Similarly, your willpower and grit won't overcome mental health struggles. Your mental health is not a sign of personal failure or a mark against your belief in God's influence over your life. Just because you can't see anxiety or depression doesn't make their biological causes any less real. Now, end quote, here are some of the keywords and phrases in our conversations. I think this will grab your attention real quick and it'll give you a real sense for what we were talking about. Earning salvation, obsessed with productivity, finding love, self-punishment overachievement, good deeds, workaholism, alcoholism, depression, anxiety, shame, worthiness, avoidance, negative thinking, vulnerability. Let me tell you, Adam is so genuine and personable. I think you will enjoy his native Kentucky accent also. He's a super example of a modern day brain changer, a kingdom influencer with a mind fired up for Christ. And hey, here's a quick plug. It's not too late to join the Fired Up Mind Challenge. We still have two sessions to go. Adam was a guest speaker during session 2. You can watch the replay in our Facebook group. And for more details about the challenge or to join, visit victoriadwalker.com/challenge. And if you're listening to this episode but you haven't subscribed to the show, would you mind doing that for me today? Better yet, share this episode link with a friend who would really be encouraged by Adam's testimony. And for now, let's jump right on into our conversation as Adam is sharing his motives for writing Love is Real.
1: Never really anticipated ever writing a book. It never really been an, a goal of mine or anything. I was a teacher for 11 years and I just, I'd put my heart and soul into that. I'd, I'd known I wanted to be a teacher since I was eight years old and it had never really wavered in that belief until just the last year or two. I'd become a little stagnant and just felt like God was leading me in a different path. And, um, my relationship with my my new wife i just married uh, we just got married on october 19th really her she was kind of the rock and the strength that gave me the um, support on being able to make this move so the book is it kind of details the lessons that i've learned from the people that god has placed in my life the the blessings i've been been given to see the lives from people that actually live the life that a lot of us want to live, but but fail to do, you know, lives filled with faith and strength and commitment and just, uh, I, I believe the lives that God wants for us, that the purpose He He has for us here on this planet. And I fell so far away from that. I fell so far away from what I believe God wanted for me and the person I ought to be. And I, I really hid that from people for so long. I wore a mask that said like I'm okay nothing's wrong but I I was my life was just consumed with shame and regret and the book is kind of dives into that a little bit to allow people to see behind the mask that so many of us wear and to see that you know people have real problems and that God loves us anyway that he loves us on our worst day just as much as he does our best and kind of give people a glimpse on on my fall and then the rise back up and and God's influence on that and the people he put in my life are how he kind of put them there at the right time for the right reason and they're there for all of us if we just look around and open our eyes to it.
0: Would you say Adam that the book is then autobiographical?
1: It is to it is to a certain extent so it is each lesson is ties in ties back with the name of the book like so the first lesson what maybe is failure is real, and then cur- the second, maybe courage is real, and joy is real, and et cetera, and each of those is written from an aspect of my personal, how they have personally played out in my life, and how I know those things are real, That what God has, has shown me, either through my my interaction with particular people, my family, or whatever it may be, but then it also then steps back from that and, and talks about each lesson, either from a bu- uh, biblical viewpoint or just in general, how it applies to each person's life. So, so yes, it is autobi- autobiographical in its inspiration, but it isn't just strictly um, autobiographical. Each lesson actually ends with an action challenge for the reader to then apply the lesson to themselves and a lifestyle change or basically a challenge for them to take that lesson out into their life.
0: Tell me a little bit, Adam, about your breaking point. I know a teeny bit about your story as we've spoken before. And I also want to talk about shame at one point, but Can you, as you, as you look back and I don't want to, you know, spoil the book or anything like that, but can you tell us what was the breaking point for you? I think you mentioned a moment ago, just the mundane aspect of your life, but was there something else going on or brewing besides mask wearing or trying to look like you're this way, but really inside, maybe you're not what, what actually changed for you?
1: What changed for me that pushed me towards writing the book, or what was the turning point um, that kind of led me down the dark road, or what was the, what was the breaking point that brought me back? So, like, I guess there's three kind of major <laughs> traits in <laughs> you're, my self, life. Yourself,
0: <laughs> you're more analytical than I am. Yeah. Just tell us what you teach. You were a teacher of...
1: Uh, I was a teacher of biology. So. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. you have
0: that very analytical, scientific mindset going there. I'm actually thinking about breaking point for Adam from the very beginning. That okay. uh, from the dark place is what I'm yeah. what I'm thinking because I want I want maybe we have a listener right now. He says, "You know what? I'm also in a dark place," or maybe a listener is feeling somewhat hypocritical maybe there's hidden sin maybe there's shame and something that's being you know kept back from from others even the people they love and i just wonder what it was for you that kind of snapped, uh, you know, if there was that pivotal moment that when you said, not anymore, I'm, I'm just not yeah. going to live this way anymore, because your, your book, what I've read of it is, is quite explicit in sharing some, you know, details of your life that, that would be, I think, hard to share. So mm-hmm. if, if, does something come to mind, though, that, that kind of helped you to turn at that point?
1: yeah so i had been struggling for a, a long time i i was blessed with two of the greatest men i think to have ever walked the planet to be in my life and I, I felt from a very young age from my earliest memories that it was my responsibility to make my life worthy of of their lives so they sacrificed so much to for all of us and in, in, in particular me and I felt like I felt the need to be for everyone else, what they were for me. So to take their love out to the world and be somebody that made the world a better place, not because I was special, but because of the light I'd seen through them. And it's something that kind of happened earlier in my life that I used to do that because I got to, you know, I, I, I used to love because I got to, and then something happened where my life started crumbling a little bit and I started, trying to work for others and give to others and love others because I had to. And that kind of continued for a long time. Me just basically giving to the world, giving everything of myself, but never really being able to love the world because I didn't love myself. So I can't give something I don't have. I can't give you love if I don't have love to give. I can give you everything. I can give you me and sacrifice myself for you. But if I don't believe that has any. If I don't believe I have any worth, then I'm not really giving you very much. I'm not having to sacrifice much. If I don't believe I'm worth anything, then I'm essentially giving you nothing. So um, that kind of continued for a long time. And I struggled hiding that through alcohol and through achievement and through good deeds. And then in July of 2019, I was in Peru on a mission trip with my with my church and we were building a home for a lady who'd been waiting on this home for six years. And the people there in uh, La Florida, Florida, they, I'm sorry, La Florida, Peru, they lived in bamboo huts that had um, their roofs held together by manure. And they had a, their bathroom was just a hole in the ground that was surrounded by bamboo. And everybody in the little community all used that same one. And I, I've been, I was working that day and doing what I'd done so often fighting, fighting my inner anxiety and depression issues. I was struggling to breathe. I felt like I was a swallow my tongue. I did what I had done my whole life. I just fought back. I just started like working harder. I was trying to dig. Uh, we were laying the foundation for the floor and I started working, uh, shoveling the rock faster, doing all this more. And, um, the person I was working with had kind of noticed and called and asked me about it, commented on it. And I felt really guilty. I'd flown 3000 miles away, but I couldn't get further far enough away to get away from myself. I was doing all this work. I was giving so much. I was trying to work for God. I was trying to work for other people, but in the end, it still came back to me. I, I was doing it for myself to fulfill this need. And then that night I got a video from, Sarah my wife showing me my daughter lifting these little foam weights and she said if my daddy can do it I can do it and in that moment I realized that that's what that's how she's going to approach life that she'll give because I give and she'll work because I work but she'll also be self-depreciating because I'm self-depreciating she'll be she'll think she has to be perfect because I think I have to be perfect and that. The example I have to set for her has to be more than what I am on the outside. It has to be who I am on the inside. She has to see that it's okay to be imperfect because I show her it's okay to be imperfect. That I love her. Even I ask her all the time, when does daddy love you more, when you're a good girl or a bad girl? And she says both. And I say the same all the time. Well, I have to believe that God loves me the same way. When does he love me more, when I'm good or when I'm bad? And the answer is that both is both the same all the time. So in that moment, I kind of accepted that I have to allow myself to be vulnerable if I want her to be vulnerable, you know, to accept that it's okay, that failure is okay and that loss is okay and pain's okay. I have to live the life that I want for her. So kind of in that moment, I guess it all clicked for me that I'm not what I can do. I, I, I am just a child of the one true king that I'm Amen measured by, by my actions, not measured by my love for others and his love for me.
0: I wonder Adam, if you can go back and just picture yourself as a little kid, even Do, were you ever aware of an internal dialogue or things that you were telling yourself about your scenario? I've, I've even, I'm thinking of, you know, how might I answer this question also for, folks who have people-pleasing tendencies or who are achievement-oriented, workspace, that sort of thing. Do you remember um, consciously, you know, dialoguing with yourself about, about any of that at all? Did you have any thoughts centered around any of that? Anything crop well, up?
1: Well, I kind of did. And when we live in our own heads, we don't it's easy to convince ourselves that that's just the way it is, that everybody feels this way. I I did a video recently about how my colorblindness is like depression and that I didn't know I was colorblind until somebody told me I was colorblind, you know, until they figured it out. I just assumed that everybody else's world was just like mine. And I I just always felt that I had to be more, I had to do more. Um, I remember one specific time that, I'd struck out in a baseball game, bottom of the seventh, bases loaded, full count, down by one, and they threw a pitch, and I just predetermined I wasn't going to swing because I was too afraid I would swing and miss, and everybody would see that I couldn't do it. So I just had hoped that they'd throw a ball or, or the umpire would make a bad call and just basically give me a free pass, that I didn't have to, somebody would win it for me. And they threw it right down the middle, and I stood there and knew it was right down the middle and just watched it go by and struck out. And I remember my, my uncle or my hero saying, I can't believe that you went down looking. You know, that, that I, I, he said, I thought you may strike out, but I never thought that you would just go down looking. Or basically, I, I thought that you would at least try. And that kind of set a, a, a precedent in my life that no matter what I did, I was never going to go down looking, that I was going to work for everything. And in essence, that's good. You know, it made me be an extremely hard worker and it, and really diligent and trustworthy and dependable, but it also became almost an illness that I had to earn everything from the, the, the blessings that God had placed in my life to even his love that I had to work for him on days that I read my Bible. I felt okay. On days that I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, so like I, I felt like I had to earn what he sacrificed for me on the cross. and In essence, that is just, that's the exact opposite of the gospel. The, mm-hmm. the right, gospel. and
0: its I think you've explained a certain legalism as well, but how did you disengage from those thoughts and from that mindset and that drive to work, 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 and that that would be enough? How did you actually end up disengaging from that?
1: I think a little bit, with kind of that moment where I talked about if Georgia had said my daddy can do it, I can do it. It was mm-hmm. her. I knew I didn't want her to have the life that I had. I I didn't want her to be a success in everybody's eyes but her own. So I knew that if for my daughter to grow up with a holistically healthy life, to have not only wellness that everybody can see, but be physically and mentally and spiritually well, that I had to model that for her. And I guess my love for her was greater than my pride. You know, it was the first thing that was ever greater than my pride that I was willing to show faults and show weakness so that one day she can show fault and show weakness and still know that she's okay.
0: So I think what you're saying is that you were very motivated by that experience in Peru and with your with your um, daughter demonstrating that and saying that and knowing that, you know what, I want to do something different. I want to leave a different legacy for my children and so forth. And so to actually then disengage from those thoughts, what was that process like in, in like instead okay you're working on a saturday morning or whatever and and she's around and something doesn't go well and then you you simply reframe that or what, can you think of an example practically speaking on how yeah. you actually put that into play
1: so so often we focus on those on like these major milestones either good or bad in life like how can i ensure that whenever I become angry, that I don't lash out or how can I ensure whenever I become extremely disappointed that I that I still maintain my integrity. But really, it isn't the test that matters, but the preparation for that test. It, it isn't the game that matters, but the practice to get there. That's what determines how I'm gonna react when I become angry is how do I react um, on a second by second basis and all in all on all facets. So I began to I began to try to live my life in a way that was centered on mindfulness and on God in in each second by second moment. So I began journaling, I began uh, meditating and just trying to be very cognizant of myself in each moment so that when the test came, I was, it it wasn't a choice on what I'm going to do because I'm going to fall back on my natural tendencies. And those natural tendencies are set by daily habitual habits that are grounded in gratitude and thankfulness and, and acknowledgement of the blessings I've been given.
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, It's all the stuff that nobody sees that happens in our lives, right? When we're in the word or meditating on scripture and memorizing verses and spending time with God, that really is the, well, that's the energy that we need. It comes right when we need it in the moment when we're rubbing shoulders with you know, anyone else in the world or any other external circumstance that may be happening. So I like how you put it. It's not the test, but it's like the studying that occurs and that kind of preparation. It's not the game, but it's the practice. So, so when we, when we study and when we practice, then the end result kind of takes care of itself. And, and I really like how you put that. You mentioned, yeah, go
1: ahead. I'm sorry. Even, um, so Jesus, you know, we're kind of meant or, or called to be christ-like that's we christians so we're called to be christ-like and whenever he was tempted by satan he he could have obviously just said hey back off i can do you know just he he had the power over him but he responded to the temptations that satan put before him through reciting scripture and he did that so that not because he had to to defeat satan but to show us how to defeat satan and the Bible says that he sends us the advocate to the Holy Spirit to help us know what to say when the time comes. And he says that he will help us recall the scripture, not just magically pop into our head. So if we want to defeat Satan, how we do that is through the word. And, that's the, and the Holy Spirit can only help us recall what we have already spent the time trying to learn. So when that test comes if i've spent time studying and spent time in the word and spent time communicating with others and and, and trying to delve deeper into what god's telling me then the spirit will help me remember and recall what i need in that moment but he can you know that can only happen if i've already spent that time it can't just happen magically you know it isn't just a a switch that i flip on and off that okay i need you now god let me use you, and then throw it away. It's that if you live every second in God, when the time comes, he'll help you overcome those temptations.
0: Yes, and that is a wonderful reminder. Um, I like how you put that. We're we're really not alone in the journey, and God is here for us 24-7, but we do have a part to play. We're not just off the hook. It's not just to let me sit on the sofa and eat Lay's potato chips the rest of my life and everything's hunky-dory. It is, I do have, hopefully I have motivation in, you know, internal motivation that, that prompts me and causes me to to want to do things on the Lord's behalf like share my testimony or write the book and declare mm-hmm. God's goodness and all of those things and but he also equips us in you know in the moment as we're as we're stepping out and and as we're bold so he's with us no matter what but i think you i think you're on to something with those those hard really tricky moments when when satan's on our back and just really you know putting lies our way or deceptive things or you know whatever the comments or the dialogue that we may that we may have those fiery darts that are coming we can be equipped for those moments and we have responsibility to put on the full armor of god and to demonstrate our faith in those ways it does not mean it's all up to us because it's not but we have some obligation and duty as soldiers in this in this battle and before we go on let's take a quick break for our sponsor You mentioned a moment ago. You kind of slipped this in. You said something about alcohol. Was that? Um, can you unpack that a little bit and how that how that figures into all of this? Somehow you 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 went down the road of of. Were, were you outright addicted to alcohol, or how what did that look like?
1: So my addiction, I guess technically, was avoidance and whatever mechanism that took on, but the the method I guess I used to do that most often was alcohol. I, I was obsessed with productivity and time management and achievement and my mind could never slow down. Yeah, I had, when I was holding my daughter, watching a movie in the back of my mind, I was thinking about the things I needed to be getting done. And the reason my mind was like that was that if I ever allowed my mind to slow down, if I ever stopped doing good, and then the reality would start setting in on how much of a failure I really was and on how weak I really was and on how evil I really was. And my only real reprieve from either one, trying to think about positive things to do or two, not thinking about that and letting in those negative ruminating thoughts was to drink and i didn't drink you know through college i was drinking six seven nights a week um, constantly but then as i got older i wasn't drinking that often but when i would drink i would drink to extremes or drink to the point where i would just completely lose myself it's the only time i could ever really have peace or ever really you know go to bed without just these thoughts kind of tormenting me so mm-hmm. i get, alcohol was the way that my struggles manifested themselves.
0: Yeah. I also like how you put that. I'm looking at my notes. Oh, you said your alcohol was your method of avoidance. That is so curious. I just interviewed on episode, I think it's 51. Matter of fact, it uh, it came out today. Episode 51 was about uh, a lady who struggled with weight restriction and weight and food addiction and she and i i mean basically the interview was it's not the object of our affection we always think it is but whether it's alcohol drugs pornography food shopping you know whatever it is that's just the method and how you put it the method of avoidance and um so now for you adam is do you still drink or have you given that up or what does that look like for you
1: oh i haven't drank since um july 27th of 2018 i guess that's going on two and a half years Mm -hmm. that isn't really that isn't the victory that's just the victory people see and Hmm. like we talk like you were saying there i've read a book called by carlos Whitaker called kill the spider so the cobwebs in my life were the the drinking right and so many of us see the symptoms and clear those out but then the symptoms keep coming back and in his book he draws an analogy that if all you do is continually clean the the cobwebs in your house or or in your attic or whatever then they're going to come back because the spider's still there and in my life the cobwebs or the obvious problem the obvious clutter was the alcohol but the spider was the shame and the regret and the the inauthenticity that i had allowed into my life to try to cover that shame and my complete resistance to vulnerability and my belief in the myth that vulnerability meant weakness and so those are the things that 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 god has helped me overcome and those are the things that that really, it doesn't matter if your problem is eating and you fix that, then it's going to just become something else if it doesn't, if you don't address the issue, like why did you feel the need to eat so much in the beginning? A lot of us just, pun- we're punishing ourselves. There is a TED Talk by Brene Brown that says that there's, she had, she's basically in a science scientist or research specialist that dove into six years worth of research into shame and its impact on our lives and and she had two groups she called them wholehearted and then basically the rest of us that that the wholehearted people were those that felt love and worth and importance in their life and the main control or basically the main uh, difference between the two groups, between those that feel love and feel worth and those that don't is simply the belief that you are worth love, that you are worth um, feeling important, that those people that feel that way believe they're worthy of that. And the people that don't uh, deep down feel that they're not. And a lot of that comes with vulnerability then whenever you feel that you are worth something, you're, you're okay with showing vulnerability. Nobody loves it. Nobody wants to be vulnerable, but you can show vulnerability because you realize that I can take the first step in this relationship or this whatever, and if I'm rejected, that doesn't mean that I am a failure. It means I have failed, not that I am a failure. So she drawed the comparison between guilt and shame, and a lot of times we use those interchangeably, but they're not. Guilt says that I made a mistake. Shame says that I am a mistake. And... Guilt says, I'm sorry for screwing up. Shame says, I'm sorry for being a screw up. And vulnerability allows you to differentiate between those two, to open up to the world and say, these are the things I love about myself. And these are the things that I don't. And God made me, me, because I'm the only person in the world that can be me, not just the good things, but also the bad. And he made me this way to, to fulfill his purpose for me. And maybe it might be the things that I love about myself. It may be the things that I hate about myself that will eventually allow me to, to live, love the world like God wants me to.
0: So let's fast forward just a little bit to maybe this year. And let's say you're just doing life as usual and you have the thought, you know, I'm a failure or I can't believe I did that back in, you know, 20, um, 2009 or Man, you know I'm so ashamed of this, that or another thing. If you have one of those thoughts that kind of come into your mind or maybe there was a trigger of some sort, what do you actually do because you're 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 talking about a lot of really kind of serious uh, mindsets and issues to, to deal with. And, and I understand that God's in this process with you and that you've made some shifts and you've been willing to be vulnerable and you've been willing to be humbled and you, you're highly motivated for your family and so forth. But on a day-to-day basis, what mm-hmm. does that actually look like? Um, even now, or is it that you don't you know you're you have healing from all of those if we would call it that or you're not tormented by any of that anymore or you're just beyond that how how does that look on a day to day
1: so uh, there is a physical and a mental component to it um mentally uh, mark twelve thirty and thirty one says that the greatest commandment is the love of god with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and then 30 and 31 says the second is to love your neighbor as yourself well if i'm going to fulfill that commandment that god says is the greatest commandment i have to first love myself and you know if i believe everybody in the world deserves love then i'm somebody in the world so i deserve it too and just finding that belief that i am worthy i'm I'm worth something that i matter that i to love is to show somebody The beauty of themselves and their importance and their worth will also work to do that to to believe that I'm important that I'm beautiful that I'm worthy. And that is the mindset that goes into it. But then the way you live, I believe, is medicine that I don't actually just believe that I know that. I mean, science says that is true. The way that you eat and think and sleep and um, exercise that those things are literally medicine in the same way that you know, uh, Benadryl is or Prozac or whatever, those it, it it literally changes your biological composition. Your brain has plasticity. So it will it has the ability to grow neurons and new connections in different ways if you are consistent enough in your application of those. So I I, I eat in a way that's medicine. I sleep in a way that's medicine. I um you know, I exercise like medicine. I, I I've spent the last fifteen years studying the body and and habits that promote well being. So I I just live daily on in a way that 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 minimizes these issues. Now I still struggle with them some. I still have times to where I feel some of these symptoms, but I have I have methods to then divert from that rumination and 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 I live in a way that's proactive in in preventing it
0: okay so when it comes to thoughts that's what I'm after the methods that you employ to divert the you know all that negativity or that toxic thinking or the lies or accusations fiery darts or anything that you're thinking even about yourself how do you do that
1: well, there's there's multiple ways. Number the first thing is you have to be mindful of them. You have to realize when these negative thoughts are coming. You know, a, a lot of the times we can become so, um, so assured that our thoughts are real that they are facts that we don't question them. So I, I I practice mindfulness and mindful breathing techniques and meditation and things to become aware of my thoughts. And mindfulness doesn't mean that you're clear-headed. It means that you are you are aware of each of your thoughts and you make the mental decision whether to focus on on them or not. So that the first step is just mindfulness and then becoming aware that that negative thought is there. And then the second, and in, in science that that, that particular uh, strategy will be called cognitive behavior therapy, just becoming aware of that. And that is a, that is one small part of it, but that isn't just the overall answer. And then another, uh, another method in science that is called just the behavior activation. So once I begin to notice this negative behavior that I do something to, I take on a behavior that diverts my attention from that behavior. So it, it, whether it be a, a shared activity with others, that's proven um, to be the most effective because it diverts your attention away, but you can always be with others. So I. I have activities that I will, it's called flow time, or basically if you t- try to talk to my daughter when she's coloring, you might as well give it up because she is so lost in coloring, mm-hmm. but we we lose those times as adults because we think, well, I don't have the time to do that, you know, that I, I, I'm so busy with bills and, and, and jobs and all this that, well, um during that time it's almost like a time similar to sleep where your brain can you get so lost in this one activity that all the other things kind of seep away and you're you give yourself time for um regenerating homeostasis and repairing wounds and so forth um so i, I do if i feel myself starting to bring have those negative thoughts come on i do activities such as uh sketching or reading or something else that's engaging that pulls my mind away from it. But even then, that is just, a, it's just one component. It, it all comes down to um, choosing to, I mean, the name of the podcast, Choose to Think, being aware of my thoughts and then choosing that, whether I'm going to dwell on them. And I know it's not possible to capture every thought, but if I can capture one thought that I have a choice, I have a choice in what I'm going to do. I have a choice in my beliefs, in my actions, and in my feelings, and am I going to allow this to remain in my life? So we just becoming, uh, accepting the fact that I am in charge of my life, I'm in control of what goes on in my actions, and my thoughts, and my feelings, and then um, taking the necessary steps to, to give myself that actual control.
0: Gotcha. And I also think that just to kind of put a little bit of icing on the cake here, you know, you've explained really, I guess, mindfulness mm-hmm. in a way. I would look at that as taking thoughts captive. I think that's what you were saying. But before you can really take the thought captive, you do have to be aware of what you're thinking in the first place. And then I've also, you know, what I teach in addition to that would be. The that okay, our thoughts create our feelings and emotions, which in turn drive our behavior. And if we find ourselves in an emotional state that we really don't enjoy, and I'm not talking about if you lost a loved one or those very natural grieving times and so forth, or if you're injured, of course, you're gonna feel anxious and because your arm's bleeding or whatever. So, but I'm talking Mm. about persistent negative feelings or emotions yeah. that are st- that stemming from maybe lies that you're believing about yourself. And, and in turn, yes, those feelings can drive, can drive um, actual actions, something that often may not be healthy for us, like avoidance, like you explained a, a little bit ago. And then for me, I have to have a replacement thought, because once I take that thought captive and bring it under submission, that's kind of the next step. I, how do I bring it under submission to Christ? Well, I have to also know who I am in Christ, and I have to know how I am identified as a child of God and what God says about me and so i can kind of delete the one thought and then paste in it God's truth and ruminate on that instead and um i that's a process that you know i've had considerable success with doing that personally
1: absolutely i agree it's you can't you can't just think okay i'm going to capture this thought and then i will will it away because the more you think focus on that thought, the more it's just going to, you know, um, if I start down to think I'm just not going to think about it, then all I can do is think about the fact I'm not thinking about it, you know? Like
0: exactly, exactly. Right. And I've I've read statistics that say we have about 80% of our thoughts are negative and 95% are rep- repetitive. So right. it's, that's a staggering thought. And, um, but, uh, but we, so me. yeah, once again, we have, we do have a role to play, which shouldn't come as oh no, it's what I have to do and it's all about me. No, absolutely not. To me, that is like the best news that I could ever have because then I actually can rewire my neuroplastic brain creating new pathways that are healthy and whole and and proper and truthful according to what God says. So I also really enjoy and and admire the holistic approach that you're taking it's not enough just to take our thoughts captive we we have to you know to be aware of where we are spiritually we also want to be good stewards of our body and mm-hmm. make sure that we're physically fit and that we're doing making good decisions there to to be as healthy as we can and our sleep is so important so i love how you're approaching life and with your ministry and your business how you are pulling all of those elements in and then you also have the scientific background to you know put all the um you know, bring bring in more of the an, the analytics and the the what's actually going on inside your body, in your mind, the chemical structures, and all of that. So it's yeah. really um, nice to see that. So tell everyone where we can find you.
1: So we, um, I am Love Is Real Wellness on essentially every platform. So Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, um, except. where we are love is real Well, and the number one and we have daily YouTube videos or I guess I say we because I'm just not alone in this business I'm just the person you see in front of the camera but there's a lot of other people going in and doing a lot of work that makes it all possible so we have daily YouTube videos called a real minute and for example one of them I think I don't know I think it may have been the one that just aired or the one's going to be airing in the next couple of days, but we were just talking about the fact that 80% of your thoughts are, are negative. It's, it's not your fault if you, I mean, you are negative. That's just a fact. I am too. The world is, and it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because our ancestors, that's what gave them a survival advantage. Those that focused on the negative things that happened were more likely to avoid those from happening again. So that was an advantage. Whereas those that focused on the positive things, a lot of times that didn't provide the same survival and reproductive advantage. So if we want to, you're talking about neuroplasticity, if you want to basically fill up those trenches that are already in your brain that are naturally there of negativity, you have to do that through purposeful, mindful action. Like I would suggest daily gratitude practices. On rewiring or basically re-digging some new trenches that your brain will naturally fire into through positive action, you can shift those percentages. Your thoughts don't have to be eighty percent negative and twenty percent uh, positive. That's what they are naturally through our DNA, but we that we have the power to rewire that. And amen. Like,
0: oh, yeah. yeah, amen. And, my- and we we have the mind of Christ, and
1: absolutely.
0: So I'm sure that you know, wouldn't it be fascinating to know the percentage of thoughts he had and, uh, you know, that were negative versus positive, that would just be, i just just thinking of that would be like, wow. But, Mm -hmm. and you're, you know, you're speaking my language because my ministry itself and indeed with this podcast is yes, to choose to think and we have a responsibility in that God will do the work and he shows up and he helps us every step of the way. But we make a decision to say, okay, yes, I'm going to take my thoughts captive and I'm going to, I'm going to know what I'm thinking. And then I am going to give thanks in Everything that is first Thessalonians 5 16. I'm going to give thanks in everything, and that's the gratitude, the appreciation. Because in every single scenario, we should be so humbled, you and I, our families, the what we've been given in our lives. We have running water, toilets that flush warm water, clean water. We have shelter, cars. We're talking on the internet right now. You have a computer, and so do I. We have electricity, we have we are so terribly blessed, I mean, unimaginably blessed, but we take that for granted so often. And so, that mindset of gratitude and adopting that as first, we have a savior, we have a God, creator, God to be grateful toward to extend our gratitude and some folks don't have that i mean the universe is not a person yet we have a a living god to actually give thanks to and that's a powerful apologetic i think and then and then finally, we we are given the privilege of walking with a renewed mind, and that's what my ministry really is all about. So I appreciate your being here, okay. Adam, and for sharing all of these things, and I can't wait for, for the listeners, for my listeners just to get a hold of that book and, and dive a little bit deeper with you into these issues of, you know, workaholism and people-pleasing and the shame factor and just how, you know, seeing up close and personal how, how you have changes have occurred in your life and how God has so much been a part of that. So thank you for sharing your journey and for being transparent and vulnerable. And, and I just pray that God abundantly blesses your, your book and your ministry and your business. And we really appreciate you being on here today.
1: Thank you so much. And and God, before I go, God's kind of put one more thought on my head there in my mind, whenever you were going through that, but yeah. two of the greatest leaders of, of the early church, so Paul and James, they, they have kind of it's seemingly opposite viewpoints on our life with Christ that, that Paul says we're saved by, by grace alone. And then James says faith without works is, is dead, you know, but but they're really coming to the same point just from different angles that yes, we're saved by, by grace alone, that, that we can never do anything to earn what Christ has given us. But whenever you're given a free gift, the most natural thing in the world to do is go tell people about it and try to spread that love that we love because we get to like, if I, if people, if we said, Hey, um, if you share this podcast today, we'll give $100 to everybody that shares it. And if you go tell your friends about it and they share it, we'll give them $100. There will be millions of shares because people, <laughs> they right. want to say like, hey, you can get $100. All you got to do is click this share button. But we have a gift that's so much greater that the gift of Christ, that all we got to go, you know, we've been given the, the gift of life and all we got to go do is how many, how many times have we went and told people about it? If you, if you listen to this and you think this could help somebody, how, you know, that to get Christ in their life, how urgent are you to go tell people about it versus if it, you know, it's so much greater than a hundred dollars, but because it's not that practical, tangible thing we can hold, we don't go and just spread the word of Christ and spread the things that we know would, would help people. So Spend not just, hey, this podcast and not my book, but your life every day, how you're living. Go and show people that love is real and that Christ is real. Love is real because God is love and and God is real. So in your everyday life, go and be telling people, spreading to people that that Christ has this gift of eternal life. And all you got to do is just tell him you believe in him and that you want it and it's yours. So... You know, if I gave you $5 and told you that I would give you give it to anybody that came to me, you would tell everybody, go talk to this guy. Well, what about Christ? You know, he's saying, he's waiting with open arms. He's saying, come to me. But when's the last time we've told somebody, go talk to him. Go talk to Christ. You know, he's got such a greater gift to give us all.
0: Amen. And that's a wrap, brain changer. Hey, the merch design for today's episode is I Choose Love Today. You know, I wonder, is that what you're choosing? Drop me a note and let me know at choose to think at gmail.com. And until next week, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Chao.